Ladies and gentlemen, I am willing to admit where I believe I was wrong on a point, and I think the Cowboys had proved they proved me wrong. Uh, they proved me wrong with this game this past weekend. I saw the game against Illinois, and I thought to myself, if this is the team that is going to show up every week, they are going to struggle to score points this season. And lo and behold, proven straight wrong, proven completely wrong. Uh, there are a couple things that were wrong with the Wyoming Cowboys in this game. And granted, like don't get me wrong, the Cowboys beat Golden Hurricane, Tulsa Golden Hurricane, forty to thirty-seven, a double overtime on Saturday. Good win. A season-propelling win, something that can maybe push you forward for the next few weeks and get a couple more, maybe a, su- a surprise win over a, a different team in a couple weeks or something like that. But their offense was surprising. I mean, given what we saw against Illinois, that I don't think really anybody expected what we saw against Tulsa, um, given what we saw against Illinois. Uh, Andrew Peasley, 20 for 30, 256 yards and two touchdowns. He had an 8.5 average. That's very solid for a quarterback in uh, the Wyoming offense. It's usually pretty hefty towards the run game. Um, he only had a 52.6 QBR granted, but 20 for 30 for 256 yards is pretty solid for a Wyoming quarterback. Um, he also ran the ball 10 times for 45 yards and Titus Swin had 11 yard or 11 carries for 40 yards as well. And, uh, Joshua Cobbs had five receptions for 77 yards and a touchdown. Will Pellisier had three receptions for 67 yards and a touchdown as well. And Sheridan's own Parker Christensen, four receptions for 45 yards. So Andrew Sweeney or, uh, excuse me, Andrew Peasley. Really tossing the ball around. I was impressed. He was slinging it. I, you know, last week didn't hinder his confidence. He only threw for thirty yards total uh, this past last weekend against the Illinois, and uh, it was good to see that he still had the confidence to really sling the ball around. That is not something that's easy to do after a game like that against Illinois, where you're basically shut down completely, other than um, being able to use your legs. Uh, your arm is basically useless in that game after throwing for just thirty yards, and then to come back against Tulsa a team that you're not familiar with very much at all, uh, the Wyoming in general. I mean, they played them more than Illinois, obviously, but not a team you play in year out or any year in year out or anything like that. Um, but a team you are somewhat, somewhat more familiar with uh, than Illinois. So a weird middle ground. Um, and for Andrew Peasley to come in and just sling it like that, I was impressed is a good win granted. Now, on the other side, on the, on the flip side of the coin, uh, Craig Bowles teams are usually, Usually pretty well, I won't say renowned, but well known for their defense, defensive acumen. They've been good defensively in the past few in the past few years, but uh, this year's defense may be a little bit of a question mark. Uh, clearly, they were able to stop. You know, they they stopped the run game for the most part for Tulsa. They held Steven Anderson to ten rushes for forty yards and a touchdown. Jordan Ford had seven carries for twenty six yards. You know, it wasn't a great it wasn't a great game on the ground for Tulsa. They didn't they didn't run it very much. But it wasn't a great overall game on the ground for Tulsa. Um, but their receiving, their pass game was on fire. Davis Brin, quarterback for Tulsa, 30 for 52, 460 yards, three touchdowns, an 8.8 average uh, average throw. Um, they had a receiver, three receivers go over 100 yards catching. Kalen Stokes had 11 receptions for 169 yards and a touchdown. Malachi Jones, six receptions, 103 yards and a touchdown. And Juan Carlos Santana had seven receptions for 102 yards and a touchdown. And they also had Isaiah Epps, who had four receptions, four receptions and 79 yards. So not a good game defensively in terms of defending the pass. And that is probably going to be a weak point as the season goes on. Clearly, if you're able to pick apart a defense like that, I mean, Cowboys could not stop the pass game for Tulsa. It felt like every time they were stepping back to throw the ball, um, Davis Brin was going to find somebody and find somebody open. And uh, that was how it felt like they were going to win the game there for for a little bit doing that but luckily Cowboys were able to sneak out a victory in double overtime 40 to 37 a good win for the Cowboys again a season propelling win it can get them to a couple other wins down the line they play Northern Carolina or excuse me Northern uh, Northern Colorado next week and we'll see I mean that should be a game that they should win it's one of the you know it's a it's a tune-up game per se quote-unquote um everybody kind of gets one weeks one through three or weeks one through four everybody kind of has one on the schedule that is more or less a tune-up game and that's what it should be for the cowboys but we don't know which team is going to show up if it's the illinois team if it's the team that played illinois anything is possible cowboys could drop that game as well but if it's this game if it's the team that played in this game if it's this game plan you know that sort of thing if they come up a game plan like they did against tulsa then they should win handily against Northern Carolina or God, I've done the twice Northern Colorado, not Northern Carolina, Northern Colorado. Um, so we'll see what happens. Good for them. A well done game, a well played game by the Cowboys. And uh, 
uh, we'll see what happens. I'm excited to see where they are. It's, it's a sign of, it's a good sign of, uh, it's not consistency clearly, but they're a, you know, maybe possibly a ceiling for this Cowboys team where they could get to if they really, you know, game plan around it and, and play the game. Um, not necessarily how the opposing team wants to play it. If they play the game, how they want to play it. I think they can, uh, they can kind of, they're showing their ceiling, if that makes sense, um, in this game. So we'll see what happens. Good luck to the Cowboys. Good game. Hopefully they should be two and one next week. They should not slip up in that game and we'll see where they are next week. Um, that's an intro. Welcome to the weekend sports rep podcast. Hello everybody. I'm your host, James Timberlake. A couple janitorial things first, um, I guess after the intro, um, First thing, please remember to follow the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get this anywhere, anywhere on your digital device, anywhere you want to listen to this. Google, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can get it wherever you want. So if you're doing that, please make sure to follow the, the, uh, the podcast, the weekend sports wrap podcast. That's the title and uh, give it a follow. You'll know whenever I post, it's usually Tuesday afternoons. It's when the podcast goes up. So I appreciate that. And give me a rating as well. If you wouldn't mind on the podcast kind of helps me get into the trending section of, uh, of those, uh, specific podcast areas that helps me get the name out a little bit more. I would greatly appreciate that if you would do that. So thank you very much. And, uh, welcome to the show today. A little college football. It's after post post week one college football, where it's a week, it's a college football filled show. We'll talk a little NFL. We're going to maybe preview. I mean, we will preview the Broncos game against the, uh, the Seahawks, even though they're, I don't, you know, there's not a lot to preview. The Broncos should waltz through that game. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some other news and notes around the world of sports. Donovan Mitchell got traded basically right after I posted my podcast last week. Donovan Mitchell got traded. That was annoying. Was not happy with that. That happened right after I posted the podcast. So we'll talk about that a little bit and uh, we'll see where it takes us along the way. We'll see what happens. So let's just kick it off. We'll stay in college football. It was a fun weekend, all right? And I'll argue, honestly, and this is where I'll kind of start to kind of lead me through the rest of the day. I think the first few weeks of college football, one, you know, week zero or whatever you want to call it, week zero through like two or three are more exciting than the end of college football season, if that makes sense. So your bowl game season, I don't care about the bowl games for the most part. I care about them maybe from a betting standpoint, but at the very beginning of the season, there's so much just like pride and joy from every team that it's like, this is the year for the most part. Everybody kind of has that, especially through the top 25 teams. If you're one of the AP preseason poll, top 25 teams, you're like, okay, this is our season. This is the best team we've had. We're going to do it this season. And we're going to win the chipper. We're going to become underdogs and we're going to win the chipper. And even after that first week, even if, I mean, unless you lost, obviously, but if you won that first week, that first game, you're, you're thinking, okay, this is the season we've done it. We're, we finally figured it out. I'll give you an example, Florida. Okay, they're on top of the world. They beat the seventh-ranked Utah Utes in a great game, a fun game, and it looks like Florida finally has a great quarterback once again. Maybe their first since—I mean, I don't want to go too far here, but maybe their first actually great quarterback since Tim Tebow. I would say Anthony Richardson looks like a stud. He had a couple game, a couple plays in that game against Utah where I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's a superstar." He's already one. I believe I read. I think Mel Kiper has has him. As one of the top 20 prospects on his big board or whatever for the draft, whatever that means at this point. But, um, and it looks like he's playing the part. I mean, like I said, a couple plays where I was like, okay, this guy's legit. Florida's going to be good this year strictly because they have a guy like Anthony Richardson just slinging the ball around. Now, he didn't pass for any touchdowns or anything like that, but he had a great game against a solid defense. Uh, he was running around like crazy in a good way. He reminded me, I'll be honest, this is probably way, way, way ahead of it. You know, way ahead of the way ahead of the curve here, but he reminded me a little bit of uh, of Russell Wilson. The way he was kind of just you know he was getting out of you know he he didn't he didn't show that he was you know super fast like your Kyler Murray's or anything like that, but he could get out of situations where he needed to get out and roll scramble roll out to the left or the right or whatever and hit an open receiver for a first down, or he could use his legs to get a first down. He had a couple runs for a couple touchdowns as well. It was a great game for Anthony Richardson. I was very impressed. This, like I said, 11, 11 attempts, sorry for rushing stats, 11 attempts, 106 yards, three tutties, three tutties on the ground, three tutties. He didn't throw for any tutties, but he ran for three tutties. Very good game. He had 129.6 rating, 17 for 24, only 126, 168 yards. But pair that with his rushing yards, you know, over almost over uh, over almost over 300 yards combined on the day and three touchdowns uh, total. So he was very good. I, I was very impressed. And it finally looks like uh, 
It's possible. It's possible. Now, again, this is early. This is the great, like I was saying, this is the great aura about what happens with college football this early in the season. You see a game like that, and you're like, Florida is back. Okay, they made the upset. They completed the upset. They were at home, and, you know, be that as it may, Utah's not used to playing in a place like the Swamp by any means. They're not used to that. Um, But, you know, it's an upset. Nonetheless, Utah came into the game seventh ranked and fair and fair enough to them. And they probably should have won the game, to be honest with you. They had plenty of opportunities to really steal that away from Florida, um, that game from Florida. But Anthony Richardson, they put the team on his back and he won the game. And it was very impressive and feels like Florida might be back with Anthony Richardson under center. Very good game from him. I was very impressed. And um, we'll see. I mean, it is the SEC. Florida, you know, they still have to, they're still going to have to play Alabama, you know, and if they make it that far, they're going to have to play Georgia. And, you know, that's murderer's row in the SEC. So we'll see how far they actually get it before everybody starts questioning them again. They still, they, you know, Billy Napier, a first year head coach. He hasn't gone through that gauntlet yet. So he'll either surprise or he'll be really good. I mean, you know, who knows? Um, but that was a fun game to watch. That was a blast of a game to watch. One of the best games of the weekend for sure. We had North Carolina and Appalachian State have a freaking basketball game in the middle of football season. In the first week of football season, North Carolina beat Appalachian State 63-61. to 61. Over, over betters were basically high-fiving each other by halftime because it was 21, or excuse me, 28-21. to 21. And uh, yeah, it was incredible. Appalachian State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter to almost... Uh, it wasn't an upset, I don't think. It wouldn't have been an upset. I think Appalachian State was actually favored when the line closed. So North Carolina pulled off the upset. Um, an awesome game. It was tons of fun to watch. If you're an off, if you're a college football fan, period, that was the game probably to watch this weekend just because it was pure chaos. You know, it feel, it felt like college football was back just from that game. And then you had a game like, and then you threw on a game like Iowa versus, you know, South Dakota State, and the final score was 7-3. And then, you know, you're back at square one. You're like, I, I need something else. Iowa, by the way, how was that the product that's put on the field every single year? It feels like Iowa... If we had a poll, I'd put it on the poll. Does Iowa, does it feel like Iowa always has a seven to three game every single year? They played baseball while North Carolina versus Appalachian State was a basketball game. And not to mention, not only that, Iowa, they didn't score a touchdown in that game. They scored seven points by a field goal and two safeties. That was the offensive showcase that we got from Iowa that game and South Dakota State. Seven to three, and the only scoring was a field goal and two safeties, or two field goals and two safeties. Um, yeah, that was a brutal game. I, I can't, I, I pray for all of those that had to watch that or wanted to watch that. If you're an Iowa fan, I don't know how you keep doing this every single season. There have been a couple of years where you guys had, you know, your potent offenses and stuff, but it, like I said, if I had a poll, I'd put it on the poll. It feels like every year Iowa has a game where they went seven to three. Like that's just, it feels like that's something that's normal to the Iowa Hawkeyes football program. So that happened this weekend. That was, a, I mean, that was a storyline. I won't say it was a fun game by any means. But uh, we had a couple other big time games that were fun to watch. Georgia, not this you know this one wasn't necessarily fun to watch. Georgia, they played Oregon, and Georgia again showing their leagues above basically everybody else other than Alabama in the in the uh, in the NCAA. Beat Oregon forty nine to three. Oregon came into this game ranked eleventh, and Georgia just hammered them, hammered them forty nine to three. Stetson Bennett, he went twenty five for thirty one, three hundred sixty eight yards, two touchdowns. It was a uh, it was a mess for Oregon, and they, uh, they're they going to fall in the AP poll almost certainly. I haven't seen the poll yet this week because it hasn't come out yet, um, but Oregon's almost certainly going to fall in the AP poll quite a bit after that showing. Um, granted, they called it a neutral site game, if I remember correctly. It's the Chick-fil-A kickoff, which is supposed to be in a neutral site, and it's Georgia versus Oregon, and they were playing in Atlanta. I don't know how that works. Um, maybe make it a little more neutral next time. Chick-fil-A kickoff, I'm looking at you. Let's make it a little more neutral. Georgia playing in Atlanta versus Oregon in a neutral side game, quote unquote, doesn't exactly feel fair. Uh, Georgia's just basically got a bigger stadium to bring all the fans to come watch them stomp Oregon. So I, you know, I, I didn't love that feeling. I mean, you go play it in Kansas city or something. And that's a truly, that's a true neutral site game. You know, put it somewhere there, you're Denver or something like that. That feels a little more, it feels a little more neutral site than uh, the Mercedes Benz Superdome in Atlanta for a Georgia versus Oregon game. That one, uh, that one rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, how are you going to let you're going to feed Oregon literally and metaphorically to the dogs with this one when you're scheduling it? Um, so that you know that happened again. Oregon, I didn't think they had a chance to win that game anyways, even if it was scheduled for you know in Denver or whatever. I don't remember what the line was that Georgia finished 
um, their odds were. I don't remember what it was, but I think it was 17 the last time I looked or something like that. So, um, all right, it may have been more than that. I think Ohio State and Notre Dame was the 17 one. So, Georgia's was probably higher than that. Um, but speaking of flawless transition, Ohio State took on Notre Dame. A little bit of a, maybe a, a question mark. For Ohio State offense, either you know two things could have happened, or both, I guess. Notre Dame either has a really uh, pretty decent defense holding Ohio State to just 21 points. This is as good of a loss, I think, as you can have if you're Notre Dame. Uh, 21 to 10 on the road in the shoe. I mean, that's a pretty decent. I, I hate to say this, but that's a pretty decent loss for Notre Dame. You're not going walking away from that. I don't. I, you know, there are things to improve, but it's definitely not like you know hit the emergency button. That was as bad of a thing that could have happened. I mean, twenty-one to ten. That's a respectable loss against an Ohio State team whose offense was supposed to be um, incredible. You know, very good. They returned uh, guys like C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and uh, for Notre Dame to go out there and hold that team to twenty-one points in a loss. Granted, um, it was still pretty good. I mean, C.J. Stroud, he had went twenty-four for thirty-four. 223 yards, two touchdowns of, you know, solid game from him for the most part. Maybe not as explosive as everybody thought it was going to be. Um, but Notre Dame, respectable loss, I would say. Good win from Ohio State, beating a ranked team, a top five team uh, at the shoe and uh, winning that game overall. But as good of a as good of a loss as you can get for Notre Dame, in my opinion. There's no such thing as good losses, right? I mean, that's the that's the the trope we get from coaches and whatever. But if you're looking at the rankings and you're seeing you know, a score losing by the, to the number two team in the country, 21 to 10 on the road in week one. I think you're okay with a 21 to 10 loss. There's, you know, it shows that you're further ahead than I think a lot of people thought, which is good. Uh, they were 17 point dogs coming into that game and uh, only lost by 11. So, you know, you know, what they say great team or good teams to win great teams cover and Notre Dame covered once again. So that was a great game to watch. We also had the most, temperature check game of them all i guess if that's i'll say that i don't even know what that means but that's what i'm going to call it uh lsu versus florida state i think a lot of people came into this game wondering where either team was you know it kind of felt like i mean norvell it feels like he's been on the hot seat for the last two years at florida state uh and brian kelly i mean he was doing some weird stuff in terms of like the way his recruiting videos came out and, you know the way his recruiting stuff not in a bad way it was just awkward as hell watching him try to hype up recruits being you know, the elder man that he is basically. Um, but that was what this game was Florida state versus LSU. And boy, oh boy, we got, uh, we got a fun game. It was a blast Florida state in one of the weirdest finishes. I think we've ever seen in not necessarily weird. I guess, I, I mean, it was weird. Uh, one of the weirdest finishes in a college football game that I think I can remember Florida state. They're up 24, 17 with, uh, just a few minutes left in the fourth quarter. They're punting the ball away. They punt it to LSU. The LSU return man fumbles the ball, muffs it on the punt return. Florida State recovers. Looks like the game is over, basically, at that point. They could put, score a touchdown, or basically, uh, I think LSU had still had their timeouts to this point. So, basically, Florida State scores. They win the game. It's completely over. They go up two touchdowns with just a few minutes to play, and the game's over. But... Florida State's running back fumbles the ball on the one yard line. LSU recovers the ball. So now they need a 99 yard drive to tie the game. They go 99 yards, score a touchdown as time expires. One the, the literally as time expires, one, you know, one second left on the clock. They run a play, score a touchdown. It looks like we're going into overtime. By the way, this made me very upset because I had LSU on the spread in this game. So I was not a happy camper after this. Um, LSU looks like they're going into overtime. Just scored a touchdown, 99-yard drive that took them to the end zone and looked like they were scoring the game-winning touchdown, uh, or excuse me, the uh, game-tying touchdown to go into overtime. And lo and behold, Florida State, out of nowhere, blocks the field, the point after the point after attempt, and they and LSU, they miss it. Florida State wins 24-23. A truly bizarro finish, an unreal finish. Ton of fun to watch. It was a good game. Maybe more, I think I, I we left with more question marks than answers for both of these teams, to be honest. Florida State showed a ton of heart, obviously, uh, but so did LSU. I mean, coming back from that deficit in the fourth quarter, they scored 14, or 13 points in the fourth quarter. Should have been 14 if they made the PAT. Um, 13 points in the fourth quarter to kind of come back, but their offense was stagnant the entire first half. Uh, it didn't look, it looked like Florida State should have ran away with that game. Um but uh, Florida State couldn't score that much either. I mean, it was two, a battle of two. I, I, I don't know if I would say it was two solid defenses, but maybe two more um, less than stellar offenses is what it felt like more more so. Um, 
but it was a good game. Fun to watch. That blocked PAT hurt so many people, including me, because I had LSU in the spread. I thought if they went to overtime, I still have a chance in this. I didn't think they had a chance at all, all the way up until the fourth quarter. And then uh, fourth quarter happens. I think, oh my God, they just scored a touchdown as time expired. I still have a chance on this. My money can be paid off. I only put like a $2 bet down. So it's not like I, you know, I wasn't losing the mortgage or anything over this, but I was like, okay, I mean, I can live with a $4 gain out of this, whatever, who cares? It'd be awesome to see that. Uh, and then they blocked the PAT and I'm sad again. So uh, whatever, who cares? Um, but LSU, man, I thought they were, I thought they were going to be better than that. I mean, that was uh, basically a home game for them as well, even though it was another, you know, one of those uh, neutral side games, quote unquote. Um, but they were playing the Allstate Louisiana kickoff is what it was called, the official title of the game. Um, Florida State was on the road, basically taking on LSU in the Caesar Sportsbook Dome or whatever they call it, where the Saints play in New Orleans. They were playing a game, a neutral site game against LSU at in new orleans i don't know how they come up with this if you're gonna make a neutral site game make it a neutral site game okay all state louisiana kickoff fair enough you can call it that if you want to but put it between two like you know sec teams or acc teams that don't have any or an acc and an sec team that doesn't have any connection with louisiana you're playing lsu in new orleans doesn't seem exactly fair but nonetheless florida state walks out with a victory basically I wouldn't say pure luck, but you know, by the skin of their tin, the the skin of their chinny chin chin, if you will. Um, so they walk out of that one. I was impressed. Florida, I mean, as impressed as you can be. It wasn't like I said. It was not a pretty game for either one of these teams. It was not a good game. Um, but Florida State walks away a gutsy performance from them. A gutsy performance from both teams, to be honest. But just a PAT away from going into overtime and seeing a different outcome. But uh, that was probably the funnest game of the weekend, just because of that ending and how. Um, kind of random and out of left field it was. Um, we had Clemson versus Georgia Tech on Monday. That was yesterday, Labor Day. Um, Clemson rolled in that one, but it wasn't because of their offense by any means. Uh, Clemson ended up winning 41-10, to 10, but our offense was still kind of a question mark. Defense looked very good again, uh, and Georgia Tech is, you know, Georgia Tech. I'll be honest with you. They're still Georgia Tech. So uh, it was a good weekend in college football. I mean, it's, it's back, you know. It's finally back. College football is here. Again, like I said, it feels like this first few weeks of college football is better, honestly, which is a problem than the last few weeks of college football. The bowl games, I don't think anybody cares about. You know, I'm glad they, I mean, they implement, they're implementing the 12 team playoff. That also came out after I published my podcast last week. They're getting the 12 team playoff, and it looks like they're going to try to advance it as, uh, as soon as 2023, I believe is what they said. Uh, but if not, if they can't advance it that far, then it'll be, I think, 2025 when they actually have it. Um, so that's a good thing that'll and create a lot more interest towards. And I could be alone on this, but I just feel like the bull games have become so obscure and unneeded and don't really give uh, teams anything other than it feels like uh, a lower medal than what everybody is kind of shooting for, I guess. And the matchups are never uh, other than I, I would say 10 bowl games out of the year. The matchups aren't all that interesting, to be honest. And these ones at the beginning of the year, have become more interesting. Like your Florida States and LSUs at the very beginning of the year, when you don't really know anything about either team, it's become more interesting than the back half of the season or the back quarter of the season where it's bowl games against teams that, you know, I don't necessarily want to watch or anything like that. Um, or against teams that, you know, one, I know about, or they have a ton of opt-outs in the bowl game, so I don't really know a lot about them and vice versa. And the product's just worse because of it. Or, you know, it's it's just a, a, a matchup that doesn't really make a lot of sense in an important bowl game, and it ends up being a blowout. That doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. It kind of defeats the purpose of the bowl game. And e- even so, the opt-outs itself kind of defeat the purpose of the bowl game. And so, I don't know. They've kind of destroyed... I, I read somewhere, I think that is it's a genius idea. Um, I can't remember where I read it. I wish I could give credit. I apologize. I'm not giving you credit. Um, I read somewhere a great idea that they should flip the college football season basically on its head. So you have your bowl games at the very beginning of the season. And that's how you start your year. Kind of how they're doing it now. I mean, it's not that different. You're all state Louisiana kickoff. That becomes a bowl game. You know, you either end up one and oh, or no and one and you walk away with a bowl game trophy, that sort of thing. But you still end up playing throughout the rest of the year. Now the end of the season gets a lot more dull, you know, because you only have your playoff and your conference championships and then your playoff. But 
I think that's a more interesting way to dole out the bowl season than the way it is right now because the bowl season doesn't mean anything at the end of the year other than your college football playoff bowls and that, you know, that sort of thing, even though those even become diminished. If they're semifinal games, those become even less diminished, you know, other than you're just winning that bowl game to get to the college football playoff championship or whatever it's called. Um, So I think that idea of having your bowl season, quote unquote, at the very beginning of the year where basically every team can participate and, you know, you have even more bowls that you can sell, but they're not as useless, I guess. You know, you're going to have all your starters play in those games, obviously, because it's the first game of the season. You're going to have every starter play that wants to play um, or that, you know, needs to play in order to get uh, a good start to the season and a loss at the very beginning of the season uh, unless it's to a, you know, if you're a ranked team and you're losing a heavy, heavy underdog game, even though I don't think they'll schedule it that way, um, a one loss at the begin- very beginning of the season isn't going to necessarily affect your chances to the actual, uh, to the college football playoff as a, a loss towards the end of the season will versus a, a ranked team or something like that. Like, can you imagine that Wyoming versus Tulsa game that we just had, but it was for, you know, a bowl game or something like that? That would have been a ton of fun. And not that the game wasn't fun already, but adding some sort of stakes for it at the very beginning of the year seems like a much better idea for the beginning of the year than it is the beginning, the end of the year. Like the Wyoming versus Kent State game last year felt less important than the game we just had between Wyoming versus Tulsa. If that makes sense to me, that's the way I looked at it. That Wyoming versus Tulsa game meant a lot more because it's the beginning of the season. You want to accumulate as many wins as you can at the very beginning of the season versus at the very end of the season when you're not really playing for anything other than, you know, a championship cup full of potatoes. And, you know, that's a hard sell to a lot of players and even coaches at that point. Um, It doesn't really necessarily, I mean, you're honored to get the invitation, but you're playing for a bowl full of potatoes and, you know, something you could put in your trophy room at the end of the season when it doesn't really matter. Um, you're not playing to go to the famous Idaho potato bowl. You're going, you're playing at the start of the, or at the end of the season for a conference championship. And after that's all passed, then what are you playing for after that? You know what I mean? The bowl games don't necessarily mean as much anymore. I think at the beginning of the year, if you put them at the beginning of the season, they mean a lot more because that's a start to your season. A, a famous Idaho potato bowl win against Tulsa or Kent state at the very beginning of the season that's a good start to your year. You've won something at the very beginning of the year, and then you can continue on to the rest of the season towards conference championships. And that's how you end the season, your conference championships, and then obviously your college football playoff and so on and so forth. So that was something I heard that I thought was a very interesting idea and a good idea. I think that would be a ton of fun, a lot better than what we're doing now. We're kind of doing like the half version of a bowl season at the very beginning of the year. You have your Chick-fil-A kickoff, your Allstate Louisiana kickoff game, and that sort of thing, why not just go all in and just move your bowl games to the beginning of the, f- the season? You could still play almost all of them wherever you want. I mean, it's August, so you could still play your Rose Bowl game in California without any problems. It's not like it's going to be December where it's not. I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's in California. And, you know, summer year-round, pretty much, it gets a little bit colder. Um, but, I mean, in August, you can still play the Rose Bowl game there. Plus, your famous Idaho Potato Bowl. I'm sorry, that's the only you know the only example I have because that's just the one that comes to mind. Um, but your famous Idaho Potato Bowl becomes not more interesting by any means. But you know it's a warmer weather game, and that makes it more fun. I think, in my opinion, just because it allows offenses to be more open in what they're trying to do. Um, there are a couple bowl games you wouldn't be able to do. Uh, there's the I think they still do the Fenway Bowl if that if I remember correctly. I don't remember what they call it exactly, but that was one that they used to do where they played the game in Fenway. Obviously, you can't do that because baseball's still going on. Your pinstripe bowl, obviously, you can't do that because baseball's still going on. That that happens at Yankee Stadium, so obviously, you can't do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there are plenty of other because and if you're doing each team instead of just having bowl eligible teams, you can have basically as many teams as you want. You wouldn't have bad matchups between you know your Nebraska and North Dakota because that's just an FCS school. You can wait a week for those and just have bigger games. You know, all your your main power five conference teams playing a different team from a power conference, another power five conference and make it a bowl game. That's all I'd want. I think that would be a lot more fun for uh, football, for college football in general. And I think it's better for the game if they just shift it that way in general. I think it's more fun to watch. Not necessarily. I mean, even more towards the end of the year, because maybe you can trim the gap because I, well, one, you're going to have your 12 
um, your 12 team playoff, which will have six games. So you already have, you know, a bunch of other games lined up for the playoff. And then you go towards, uh, and then you move towards, uh, you know, the college football playoff national championship and so on and so forth. So you have less filler. It feels like to get to your college football playoff games and it can just be straight from conference championships. Give it a week, a week by or whatever. And then you have your college football playoff, um, your college football playoff games. You know what I mean? Like your army Navy game still goes in that one weird bye week that everybody has. And then you have your college football playoff weekend where, you know, your six games and then so on and so forth. Um, sorry, that's a rant. That's just something that I kind of, I read about, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't give credit. I can't remember who I saw it from. I can't remember exactly who I saw it from, but somebody came up with that. I'm not, I'm not coming up with that. Somebody else came up with that idea. And I really liked it. I thought it made a lot more sense that way. Um, and just the way the bowl season has kind of turned into, unfortunately, um, becomes a lot more interesting if you throw it at the beginning of the year. So that's my long winded way of saying, let's make it a little more interesting. Uh, it, not that the beginning of the year isn't already interesting, but I, like I said, I think it's more interesting than the end of the year. Just make it make the end of the year less uninteresting, I guess, is the goal. What should the, the what the goal should be? Um, so yeah, that's college football week one. That's a, a couple changes. I wish we could see. I think that would be a lot more fun. Um, we're going to move on here. We got a couple more, uh, topics to get to, uh, before the end of the show here today. Uh, big one, first big one, or I'm not really first big one, but bigger one than anything else we've talked about Russell Wilson. So we got pro football coming up NFL. I, I, I started my NFL red zone, uh, subscription. Just today, Tuesday, the year, the Tuesday, September sixth, I started my NFL Red Zone subscription. So that's how I know it's football season. I'm gonna have seven hours of commercial-free football coming up on Sunday, and I'm excited. Um, but big news that came out this past weekend, basically right when I turned the podcast off, Russell Wilson agreed to a five-year, two hundred and forty-five million dollar extension with the Denver Broncos. And you know what? Great play by the Denver Broncos. Don't even. Don't even leave it up for dispute. This is your guy. Cut and dry. Before you even see anything, I don't have any issue with that personally. I don't have any problem with that before you even see him throw the ball. We know what Russell Wilson is. He's a very good quarterback. If he's on, if he, you know, if he's playing to the top of his game, I believe he's a top 10, possibly top five quarterback in this league. And that's not something you let walk out the door, um, especially since it's basically already proven what he can do. And uh, you don't let that walk out the door. So give him that money. $165 million guaranteed. $245 total million extension. Five years. It'll keep him in Denver through 2028. He is 33 years old. He's a little bit old on the older side. But he's also said, uh, I believe he said recently that he'd be willing to play at least 10 more years. Not willing. He's looking. Um, he doesn't plan to retire for at least another 10 more years. So I think if that's the case, Keep him on as long as you can until you start seeing, you know, at least some sort of diminishing value. It is the most more important position in any sport, period. No questions asked. And if you have one of the best at that position before he's even thrown, I mean, before he's even thrown a ball for your team, we know what he can do. I mean, we've seen it with Seattle. He basically put that team on his back uh, year in, year out in an ancient offense that didn't let him cook. You know, everybody knows let the let Russ cook, let Russ cook. And I think if the Broncos let him do that, they're going to be one of the best teams in the league. They are playing in a very, very, very difficult division. The hardest, bar none, the hardest division in uh, in NFL in the NFL this season. But if you just let him, let Russ cook. If you let Russ cook, then good things are going to happen for the Broncos. And I think five year, uh, two hundred forty five million extension is the right move. Uh, even without seeing him throw a ball for the Denver Broncos, we know what he can do. You know he's going to be good enough to push this team to a championship. You know, Peyton Manning retired and they've basically been looking for that guy ever since. And Russell Wilson is going to be that guy. No problem. Um, so I think that was the smart move for the Broncos, the right move for the Broncos. And uh, I think it's probably going to pay dividends literally and figuratively uh, for the Broncos down the line. Um, so good signing by them. They got a game this weekend or this this upcoming Monday. Uh, big game. I mean, not big game. I, it's the Monday night football game and I'll never understand I don't, I, they, they put the flex scheduling in for this reason. In my opinion, I get it's a revenge game for, uh, for Russell Wilson. I get that's what it's supposed to be. I understand that, but I mean, it kind of feels like, you know, a big kid picking on a little kid like the rave or the, 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 uh, the Seahawks are going to be bad. I mean, they're going to be a bad team this year. They have Geno Smith starting under center. 
not necessarily a great, you know, great guy to be starting under center this week. In my personal, in my opinion, that's not somebody you want to see as your week one starter. Uh, and I think there are a lot of better games that can be slotted into that, that like that should have been flexed to a different time zone. Sorry. And I know I'm probably going to be disagreed with just because of the regional, the regional, uh, the regional bias here. I understand that. But Broncos versus Seahawks is not a good week one Monday night football game. Flex that somewhere else, please. Next time, just please give us another option. We have Chiefs versus Cardinals on Sunday afternoon. That would have been a great Monday night game. Buccaneers Cowboys Sunday night. Now, Sunday night, that's not usually something you can flex. But Buccaneers Cowboys, that would have been a fantastic Monday night game. Raiders versus Chargers, that would have that that's Sunday afternoon as well. That would have been a fantastic game to watch on Monday night football. I don't know what they're doing. I don't get it. I I wish the flex schedule would be something that you could more uh, that would happen more often, so we would get rid of not necessarily because that that afternoon hour on Sunday is important. Um, it is I think a lot of the time when people are actually sitting down to watch football. Um. But when you have, you know, you have two games like the Chiefs and the Cardinals and the Raiders and the Chargers, you have to pick one. Um, and I think, you know, if you slot it in a Broncos versus Seahawks that Sunday afternoon, you're giving people uh, less of a hard time of trying to pick. So I think that Raiders versus Chargers game should be the Monday night football game. Broncos versus Seahawks should not be the Monday night football game. And this is not the game. The Broncos versus Seahawks is not necessarily the game you want to be introducing your uh, audience, if you're ESPN, your audience to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman to your broadcast, because everybody, you know, if you're unaware, Troy Aikman, Joe Buck, they're they're gone from Fox. They've gone over to ESPN. They are now the Monday Night Football crew, the iconic duo of Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. They will be the Monday Night Football guys. And this isn't necessarily the game that I would be like, okay, like I'm not going to remember this as their first game. Uh, you know, it could be, it could change. You know, depending on. What game they get next time? I mean, there's not a lot of great games. Just I'm looking down the line here for the schedule at the schedule for the Monday night matchups. Uh, week four, you kind of get possibly a a good one. Uh, Rams versus 49ers. Week three, it's Cowboys versus Giants. I don't necessarily see that as a great matchup. Vikings versus Eagles. Two teams that are probably uh, middle of the pack. They do have two games that week though. Titans versus Bills. That game could be more interesting. Uh, Titans. Who really knows what that team is going to look like? To be honest with you, uh, if that team is still bought into Ryan Tannehill, I mean, there were there was a point last year. I remember this very vividly. Uh, there was a point last season when I think I think somebody went down on the opposing team with an injury or something like that, and this was before Derrick Henry got hurt. Or I think they went to L.A. and like they beat they beat the Rams handily. The Titans did, and I remember uh, I can't remember who it was that said it, but I remember it being tossed around the Titans should be seen at as as uh, championship contenders or championship favorites at that point after beating the Rams. And I remember that very vividly and how much further it went downhill after that. Um they weren't they're not a bad team per se, but their loss to the Bengals in the playoffs, you know, that was that was tough. That was a tough loss for them. Um and I think it really kind of I, I wouldn't be surprised if that really challenged the Titans organization belief in Ryan Tannehill as a whole. Is this the guy that's going to get you there? Um, plus Derrick Henry's coming off an injury. We don't know how he's going to look. He did play in that playoff game, but he was not nearly himself, obviously. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know. That, that could be the game I'd want to remember for Monday Night Football as their first game, um, as Joe Buck and Troy Eggman's first game on ESPN, not necessarily uh, the Seahawks and the Broncos. Now, granted, it's not going to change. That's their first game together. I just wish it was a better game, you know, per se. Now, it could end up being a great game, but Seahawks are not a good team. Just, you know, Point Blake, period. They're not a great team roster-wise. They could surprise people, whatever. Broncos are definitely better than them, though, basically on every side of the ball. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens, but the Broncos should roll in that game, I think, uh, rather handily. Um, Moving on here, it's football. You know, there are still a ton of other games that are going on in the the, the NFL. It's week one. Bills-Rams Thursday night. I can't believe, I can't believe... I can't believe we're getting a better Thursday night game than we are a Monday night game. That one, that bothers me. Now, granted, it's the first game of the year. Of course, they're going to have the best game be the first, or, you know, one of the best matchups be the first matchup of the season. I guess that makes sense. But then the week after, it's Chargers Chiefs on a Thursday night. Put that on Monday night football, man. Move the Vikings to Thursday night. Now, granted, I think Amazon Prime is doing, or Amazon's doing the, uh, the uh, the Thursday night games this season, and I mean, obviously, Prime Amazon Prime has more money than God 
Um, so of course they're probably going to pay for the rights for the better games on Thursdays if they're the ones broadcasting them. Um, but man, I mean that Chiefs Chargers game, throw that on a Monday in oh, ESPN would thrive if that was if that was the situation they were in. That's a great game next week on Thursday. Um, but regardless, this week Bills Rams to start the week off. That's a great game. We got Bengals Steelers on Sunday, and we'll get to see where the Steelers kind of are. Bengals coming off a Super Bowl loss, excuse me, a championship loss. Um, and uh, we'll see where both teams are at. Big game for me. One of my favorite matchups so far this season. A brilliant job by the NFL schedule makers. And this was either before Baker. If it was before Baker, whoever made this schedule, brilliant idea. Big brain over there. Whoever, if they made it after, or if they made it after Baker left, still big brain. Huge, huge idea. Great idea. The Browns will be traveling to Carolina to take on the Carolina Panthers with Baker Mayfield starting for the Panthers after he left from the Browns. Browns are probably, they're a better team than the Panthers, but man, it would be nice to see Baker Mayfield just carve up the Cleveland Browns in that game. That would be a good thing to see. I'd be very happy to see that. That would make me, that would put a smile on my face that would go across my entire cheekbones and up to my ears. Okay. That would make me very happy. And I think, I think that's something I think a majority of the people would like to see is Baker Mayfield uh, just thrash the Browns. That would be, uh, that would be something I think a lot of people are, are looking forward to seeing. Um, another one here. Packers are taking on the Vikings. Big rivalry matchup in week one. Uh, we'll see what happens. The Vikings, I, I have no idea what to expect out of them. Packers as well. I mean, they lost Devontae Adams. They really don't have a lot of wide receiver depth. We'll see what Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to kind of magician up, pull out of the hat, because that's what he does every every year, it feels like. Um, so we'll see what he's able to do, and uh, we'll see where the Vikings are at. Just as a team, new head coach, you know, a, a new offensive scheme, New GM, I mean, basically a, a, a clearing of the house, if you will, for the Vikings in the offseason. So we'll see where they're at. That's an interesting game. And then, like I said, Chiefs-Cardinals, that's it. Uh, that's um, Sunday afternoon as well. Raiders-Chargers as well. And then Monday or Sunday night football, Buccaneers-Cowboys. Um, it's a good week, man. It's football. Football season's back, and it's good to be back. I mean, it's fun. Feels like fall. It doesn't feel temperature-wise like fall. It's going to start feeling like fall, though, relatively soon, and I am super excited we're gonna we're getting football sunday cozied up on a sunday afternoon after a mid-afternoon nap you're not gonna hear joe buck's voice anymore wake you up to for the afternoon games that's unfortunately gone he's gonna be waking up at 6 20 in the or at night on mondays after your post-work nap um so it's not gonna be joe buck anymore unfortunately waking you up from your after sunday afternoon naps um with his uh you know welcome to america's game of the week you know that sort of thing I don't know who is doing those this year, but I guess we'll have to get used to it. Fox has a pretty good slew of commentators, though, and I don't know if the drop-off will be that substantial other than just the nostalgia we get from hearing Joe Buck be the announcer for those Fox games in the afternoon every single Sunday for God knows how long. Ever since I was a kid, I've been listening to that. So I don't know if the the drop-off in quality be as much as I think everybody kind of expects. Um, but the increase in quality for Monday night football is going to be there. So that'll be nice. I think a lot of people will be paying a lot more attention to Monday night football because they got Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and you can hate on Joe Buck as much as you want. People pay attention to his broadcast because he is good at what he does. I'll I believe that a hundred percent through and through. I think he is very good at what he does. He doesn't have necessarily the excitement for, uh, it doesn't, I won't say for the sport. I, he just doesn't, uh, expel excitement when he's doing broadcasts, which I don't necessarily love. I don't hate it by any means or anything like that. There are times I wish he did bring a little more excitement to the table when talking about certain things and when talking about, you know, the, the, the sporting event or whatever, whether it be the world series or an afternoon game on Fox or the NFL, whatever it is, I do wish there was a little more excitement there, but I still think he is one of the best just at calling play by play, you know, as the game goes on. I think he's still one of the best Troy Aikman, you know, I think the dream would be, um, you know, Joe Buck and I mean, they already, you know, CBS has already got it figured out with Jim Nance and Tony Romo. I mean, that's the best of the best. Those are the two best in the, in the, in the broadcasting booth at what they do. I think they're arguably stealing a little bit of uh, Fox's, you know, afternoon thunder, if that makes sense uh, with the two that they have in their commentary booth, because it becomes a lot more interesting with those two because of the excitement. It sounds like they have around the game of football, especially Tony Romo and the guy's a magician and knowing what's going on. So, um, yeah, I mean, who knows what we're going to, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit different this season, just from a broadcasting standpoint. We won't get Joe Buck in the afternoon anymore. 
Um, I mean, even uh, Al Michaels, not Sunday night football anymore. He's going to be on Thursday night football for Prime. And uh, Kirk Herbstreit's going to be doing Thursday night football with him as well, which will be weird. I think we're getting uh, Mark Tirico, if I remember right, um, for Sunday night football. So that's not a huge difference from Al Michaels. He's done a couple of games for Al Michaels before. And uh, I mean, Tirico's great. I mean, he's always fun. He's always fun to listen to. And we still got Chris Collins working Sunday night football as well. So it's going to be a little bit different in terms of the voices that you hear from the broadcasts um, as the season goes along. And we'll just have to get used to it. And uh, it's a new age, a dawn, a new age, the dawn of a new age for broadcasters and uh, where they're at and who we're listening to uh, when it comes to Sundays and Sunday nights and Monday nights. So that's a look at week one. I'm excited. I'm excited to get the football season underway. I'm excited to get it going. Let's just pray for a good year, you know, good teams, good football. Let's just get it underway. Let's let it happen. Last thing we're going to talk about here today, the final thing. Uh, it's going to be quick, relatively quick, just because it's the offseason move. Uh, big offseason move, though, nonetheless. Basketball. Moving over to basketball really quick. The blo- a blockbuster trade occurred once I got off mic last week again. Utah Jazz traded Donovan Mitchell to, of all people, of all teams, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Donovan Mitchell, it felt like he was getting linked with basically every team. New York was a big link. I think he was getting linked with LA as well. Uh, the uh, the Lakers primarily. Um, he was getting linked to Miami as well. And of all places, Cleveland Cavaliers swoop in and they take Donovan Mitchell from the or the uh, Utah Jazz for a trade for uh, the Jazz. Get Colin Sexton, Ochai Abaji, uh, Lori Markinen, three unprotected first round picks and two pick swaps, and the Cavs received just Donovan Mitchell. Um, this is a trade that you're banking a lot on what Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell brings to the table. He's not a great defender. Um, he's not, you know, a two way player by any means. He's a good scorer. He reminds me a little bit of uh, a little bit of Devin Booker. Devin Booker, I think, is a lot more versatile though uh, with the things that he can do. And I think this is probably, in my opinion, a reach for the Cavs. In my opinion, I don't think this gets them over the top by any means, especially in the East. The East is a very difficult conference, and I don't think this move gets them over the top, especially with what they had to give up in order to try to get Donovan Mitchell. Colin Sexton's a defensive player. Ochai Abaji's a good player. Laurie Markkinen had a decent year last year, and you're trading a lot of assets in terms of picks, three unprotected first-round picks, and two pick swaps if you're the Cavs. So you're kind of banking a lot, almost all of it, on Donovan Mitchell. Um, And I don't know how much it really puts gives them in terms of are they better the I, I don't think they're better than the Sixers at full strength I don't think they're better than the Heat even though that's probably the closest comparison um, I don't think they're better than the Heat in the East they're not better than the Celtics in the East and uh, they're not better than um, I'm forgetting a team I'm forgetting a team in the Eastern Conference that I would have said the Bucks. they're not better than the Bucks. they are not going to be better than the Bucks with that team uh, and if you know the Nets somehow figure it out uh, you know in terms of internal development uh, you know we're actually playing around one another and playing well around another one another they're not better than the nets in that scenario either so i mean it's a good move for it at least advances you a little bit up the standings i think donovan mitchell is obviously good enough to put them a little bit further ahead but i don't see them getting past a four seed or a five seed or anything like that i don't think they're going to be they would beat the the sixers in a play in a seven game playoff I don't think they would beat the Heat in a seven-game playoff. They I, they would not beat the Celtics in a seven-game playoff, and I don't think they would beat the Bucks in a seven-game playoff. So you're banking a lot of uh, your future in terms of the picks and what you had on staff on re- already, in my opinion, to move up a few spots in the standings, which I don't know if it'll amount to a championship or not. I just don't think it will. Um, and for Cleveland, a team like Cleveland it's hard to attract those, I mean, other than LeBron, and LeBron only came back from Miami because, you know, he grew up in Cleveland and he wanted to bring Cleveland a championship. But other than that, it's hard to attract those guys to come and play in a team, not a team, but not necessarily a team, but a place like Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland doesn't have the glitz and the glamour like, you know, all your other big markets do, like your New Yorks, your Chicagos, your Miamis, your LAs, and so on and so forth. So, you have to be really careful, and it's even, I would argue it's more of a small market team for basketball than it is um, really any of the other sports they have other than maybe baseball. Um, they're not necessarily a small market team, in my opinion, in football. I think they draw more of a crowd for football than uh, most people would expect, even though they are a team from Cleveland. 
Um, but they're a smaller market team for their basketball team, I think, especially since uh, LeBron left. And you have to be a lot more careful with the moves that you make in, the, in that scenario uh, because of the effect it has on the franchise more so than it does with your, your, your bigger market teams where you can kind of just spend however much you want or whatever capital you have to get the guys that you need to get because you have pretty much an unlimited amount of it. Um, and that's kind of the way basketball has worked for the past you know, God knows how long, 25 years. Um, it's the only team that has kind of uh, bounced away from that were the Spurs when they dominated the early or the 2000s through the 2010s, basically. Um, and they were the the team that were able to kind of get out of that small market bubble and dominate on a big market level throughout years. You don't have a lot of teams that are able to get out of the small market bubble and dominate for as long as they did because it's harder to keep players like your Tim Duncans or some, you know, Tony Parker's Manu Ginobili's um, on a team like that, who doesn't, who don't want to go and explore what they can do in a bigger market franchise. That's just kind of how it works for small market teams. We see it all the time with small market teams. Your Kevin Durant's Russell Westbrook was traded, but another example in Oklahoma city. So that's the, the doom and gloom of small market teams. I hope it works out for the Cavs. I can't see Donovan Mitchell wanting to stay there for longer than what is, I don't know what his current contract when it ends, um, but I can't imagine wanting, unless he truly falls in love with Cleveland, truly falls in love with that organization, which, I mean, LeBron didn't necessarily, and he was born there, basically. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't see him staying longer than his current contract, and then he could probably be off to wherever he wants to go. Um, but that's kind of the doom and gloom of your small market teams, especially in uh, in basketball, where it's kind of, the singular guys can kind of develop a command more than in in any other sport other than maybe the quarterback position in football. Um, But yeah, so that's the Donovan Mitchell trade. That is what happened uh, this past week and weekend. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. That's going to conclude the show. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, Remember if you're listening on a podcast platform or wherever, or, you know, Spotify, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, wherever, please remember to give me a rating. I would greatly appreciate that. Give me a follow on those podcast platforms, especially for this upcoming week, because it might be a little weird. I have, I don't know yet if I'm going to record one for next week because I will be out of the, out of, uh, out of the country next week. I'm helping my brother move into a place in England for he's studying abroad. So I'm helping him move into a place in England. I'll be gone next Tuesday. And I don't know how much I'm actually going to have to do on Monday yet uh, before I leave. And I'll be gone basically the rest of the week and come back over the weekend. So I have not decided yet if I'm going to be able to have time to record a podcast for next week. But if you're on hitting that follow button on the uh, on any of your podcast apps, you can stay tuned and see if one's posted. If not, we'll have one, a fresh one for you the week after. So it's either uh, you know a Monday podcast, a late Monday podcast, or it'll be the week after on a typical Tuesday. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I'll keep you informed for the most part as much as I can uh, beforehand. So thank you very much for tuning in this week. Nonetheless, I've been your host, James Timberlake, and you have been listening to the Weekend Sports Ramp Podcast.